It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons. Owen Bennett is away, so I'm in his chair. and I'm joined by Paul War and Graham Dominic. Uh, this week we're talking about whether the Brexit debate's gone completely bananas as well as what we may have missed or not in the Queen's speech. Um, last week, David Cameron warned that Brexit could lead to war in Europe. We wondered what, what could happen next, what more, how kind of further it could go, and we found out. Uh, here's a clip of Boris Johnson defending, comp- uh, comparing the EU to Hitler, sort of. Um, why did you draw a parallel with Nazi Germany, Hitler and the EU yesterday in the Sunday Telegraph interview that you did? And do you regret your comments? Over the last 2,000 years, there have been all sorts of attempts in Europe to recreate the dream of the Roman Empire, and very often that's been done by force. The EU's different, it's trying to do it in a, in a more bureaucratic way, and the problem is that there isn't a single charismatic authority that anybody feels any loyalty to, and it's completely anti-democratic, that's the problem. And here is David Cameron raising the stakes even further by saying that ISIS would be happy with Brexit. It is worth asking the question, which, you know, who would be happy if we left? Uh, Putin might be happy, I suspect al-Baghdadi might be uh, happy, but our friends around the world are giving us a very clear message. They're saying, it's all up to you, it is your sovereign choice. But our friends in Australia and New Zealand and America and all around the world and all around Europe, they're saying, it's all up to you, it's all your choice. But we'd like you to stay. We think it's good for us and it's good for you. So, Paul, it's getting a bit nasty, isn't it? Can the party actually recover from this, the divisions? Can they reunite? Well, it's worth taking a step back. If you thought a few months ago that this EU referendum debate would descend into, on the one hand, Hitler is the man backing Remain and ISIS are backing Brexit, no one would have believed you that that's how far things have gone. But that's where we're at this week. It's quite surreal. I was there with Cameron at that speech in the City of London and he was very studiously careful to be quite... um, Oh, not conciliatory, but quite uh, cautious in his language. He didn't want to ramp up the stakes even further, but he just couldn't help himself. And it was in the Q&A at the end, and someone said, you know, um, I think it was a Polish journalist who was suggesting, you know, well, what, what is going to happen? And he then said, well, you know, who would be happy? You've got to ask yourself, who would be happy with us leaving? Putin would be happy. Al-Baghdadi might be happy. And we all went, whoa, ISIS. Then, you know, that <laughs> did, is a Do you think that was planned or it was just sort of it, the, the first kind of bad person that came into it his was, head? It was, I think it was classic Cameron. He just sort of off-the-cuff remark, the sort of thing he'd fire a junior minister for, but he said himself. And it was quite revealing, really, because... You know, um, the reason this matters, and it's worth remembering, is that for the Prime Minister, you know, it's no wonder he's playing hardball because this is an existential threat to his own premiership, you know, at the end of the day. So do you think these sort of, the kind of Brexit camp, we had Steve Baker this morning, the Tory backbencher, complaining about how kind of mean David Cameron and the Remain camp are being? Do you think they're kind of complaining? I mean, as you say, is it, you know, 
they want to whinge. They, yeah. they just suck it this, up this and just deal that, with it. This idea that you can have Queensbury rules in a referendum yes. from Steve Baker's quote this morning is, mm. is frankly a bit ridiculous. Both sides have been at it, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's naive to think in the first place that that would ever happen in, in what is it? The, the stakes are, the stakes are so high. You're going to go to every trick in the book that you've got. You are going to ramp it up. And even if you were going to play fair up until the very last few days, the genie's out of the bottle now. There's a lot of kind of bad blood between between both sides, you know, and, and that was underlined by by IDS this week, which I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to. You know, this is a former cabinet minister t- tearing into the into the into this Queen's speech and what wasn't in it. That's that's all. That's yeah, it's, cause it's not exactly as if the Brexit side have been all friendly and fluffy and nice, is it? So not at all. And what is it about former London mayors and Hitler? I, I, I don't quite <laughs> yeah. get that. And Ken first, Ken now Boris. Yeah. It's kind of, they're both very similar, always have been Ken and Boris. They don't mind, you know, grabbing a headline deliberately and then slightly backing off it. Um, but they're both quite stubborn and you've seen that this week. Heseltine was very significant intervention this mm. week, suggesting that actually there's something bigger at play here, which is Boris's own performance. Because don't forget, this is all a prism for the next Tory leadership. And Boris is widely judged to have had a, a pretty bad war by most independent observers. Mm. A lot of people love him, obviously. And he could switch some uh, voting voters. He's got that X factor, there's no question out on the street. But um, a lot of people are thinking, well, hold, in Parliament, hold on a tick. He's, he's really just played up the buffoonery too much. He's, he's been shown as being quite thin on the argument. And when it comes to being PM, he's just not appeared prime ministerial so enough. And that's why people like Heza, who used to really like Boris, don't forget, when he was a pro-European, mm-hmm. feel so upset. So who do you think that helps? Sorry, if uh, George Osborne's obviously, his kind of style's fallen a bit. If Boris is not seen to be doing as well in the leadership stakes. Is that is that Theresa May? Is that Leave well, I think, Who does that how does this help? I think that Boris made, missed the trick. He could have actually, you know, this famous idea that he wrote two telegraph pieces when he was umming and ahhing about which side to come down mm. on. And he wrote a considered case for in and a considered case for out. If he'd actually pursued that and actually said, actually I only on balance think that we should leave uh, Europe then it would have been a much more credible case. It would have been more credible because it's in tune with what most people in the mm. public think, because most people aren't really extreme in one way or the other. They're weighing it up and they think, well, actually, yeah, on balance, mm. all things considered, maybe it's worth leaving. That kind of language the public like. But also, it would have given him much better ammo against David Cameron's you know, excesses of Project Fear, because he'd say, sure. well, you're being ridiculous, and I'm not going to be ridiculous in turn. The reason, though, to come back to your question about leadership, it matters, is I think there's a, 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 this proxy war going on for the next referendum. And Graham's right. I mean, the toothpaste is out of the tube now when it comes yeah. to a, a Eurosceptic referendum. I think most people in the Tory party on the backbenches who have so worked about this, even if they lose, are going to come back again and they're going to insist in the next Tory leadership contest people have a virility test and the virility test will be, will you back another second referendum? And that puts Boris in a really difficult position because Boris, we all think, might have just been playing at this just to win the Tory leadership. They're going to nail him down and say, are you serious? Are you going to back this? And if he doesn't, then you could get someone like Dominic Raab, someone like Penny Morden. You could get some young, thrusting, genuine Eurosceptic mm. who wants another referendum to sneak in and go up against George Osborne in the final two. Oh, great, if another it, referendum. That's what. And it, it, if Boris isn't having a good war, what does that mean for the referendum result itself? Because last week it seemed, as I think I mentioned on the podcast, they were trying to make it a referendum on Boris. He was the kind of 
front man. This was this this the only thing you will see is him. The only, the only uh, 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 mouthpiece for the campaign will be him. And if he's kind of stumbling around as as as, as is his want, will that have an impact on the actual result itself? Given that you know Cameron and, and others are, are putting forward kind of fairly kind of slick performance. I think that's true. Um, it's a question of competence, I think, as much as anything else in the public's eyes. It's all a big judgment call, a massive judgment call from the punter's point of view and from the politician's point of view. And if you've got Cameron banging away every single day with an economic case, with Osborne and Ed Balls and Vince Cable and all the raft of people that got on their side, then Boris needs something more than just the X Factor to defeat that. And I think you're right. Um, it's been a, it will be a referendum on Boris as much as on the actual uh, issue itself in many ways. And it's going to be difficult, really. If, if they win it, of course, if Brexiteers win it, then, whoa, you know, next stop, Boris in number 10. Yeah. But if, if, as many people expect they don't, then it's difficult for Boris. This week, the one thing that cheered up number 10 beyond anything else was the ipsos Mori poll in the Evening Standard, which showed that the Remain lead had increased. Right. And that was partly because Tory voters had actually tuned into what Cameron was saying rather than Boris. That's very significant. Okay, I'm sure we'll come back to Europe again, but uh, one thing we may have missed this week was actually it was the Queen's Speech, which usually is kind of one of the biggest events in the parliamentary year. It's the government's legislative programme. But with all this kind of Brexit debate, a lot of stuff, you know, might have kind of gone by the wayside. So before we talk about it, here is a clip of uh, David Cameron in the Commons taking the mick out of Labour front bench, which led Emily Thornbury, the Shadow Defence Secretary, to shout bollocks at him twice. The Shadow Business Secretary is anti-business. The Shadow City Minister doesn't speak to the city. The Shadow Farming Secretary, who should be responsible for encouraging Britain's livestock industry, is actually a vegan. The Shadow Defence Secretary doesn't believe in defence. And they are led by a proud Republican who now has to call himself the leader of Her Majesty's Royal Opposition. So that's all a bit of fun, but uh, Graham, what did I miss when I was making gifts of people shouting swear words and, and so on in the Commons? What actually was announced? Yeah, well, there, there seemed to be kind of two, two, two elements to it. So there was the stuff that the government was, was keen to, to kind of champion and, and, and trumpet. So you had things like prisons reform and um, changes to adoption laws to, to, to make it easy to adopt. And a, a couple of funnies, dare we say, of kind of like driverless cars or legislation to make that happen. So that was all kind of fairly kind of soft, kind of e easy stuff. And they didn't want anything kind of controversial to to, to obscure anything to do with the, the, the referendum. But if you actually kind of picked away a little bit at what was actually in the Queen's speech, there was quite a, a few kind of kind of stinkers, a few kind of things that were, <laughs> were kind, of, kind of buried away that they didn't really what, want. What, stuff you're good at on, on what, what was well, the top well, stinker? Well, the top, the top stinker was probably a, um, uh, uh, tuition fees, university tuition fees. Now, this was kind of referred to a couple of days earlier by Universities Minister Joe Johnson, that they would give... Um, the education white paper was suggesting that better performing universities would have the freedom to increase tuition fees above the £9,000 that it is at the moment. Um, that kind of caused a bit of a stir, but actually there was a huge chunk in the Queen's speech itself that made reference to this and in kind of opaque-ish language kind of 
making the same point. So that, that, that's quite a significant move. That had been legislated for, and if you think about Do we the know last how they, time tuition sorry. fees went up, there was huge protests. Mm. Do we know what, how they define a better performing university? I mean, do they get to decide themselves? Because obviously uh, when it went to 9,000, there was a suggestion only a few universities would do it. Of course, everyone wanted to do it. Well, is as, there, as everyone lots yet? of things in the Queen's speech, there was, this is what we want to do, and you ask for detail, and it's like, well, it will be in the, in, in, in the bill itself. So that was, that, that, was, that was kind of one kind of buried thing in there. And actually, Jeremy Corbyn did, did very well in, in flagging that up. And again, a lot of people missed this, but in his address, um, in response to the Queen's speech, he had a long section, which did incredibly well on, on Twitter, a little clip he did that was retweeted more than a thousand times, making the point that, um, the, I think it was the Tory, the, Tory, the, the Tory price tag of education, something like that. Um, so they're pushing, pushing quite hard on that. But actually, the government themselves didn't make any reference to it. Um, a lot of the press didn't kind of seize on this until very late in the I mean, day. So, and, there, and there was a number of other things like that. that was also, about. Paul, I mean, a lot of what you've heard on TV when this happened was actually stuff that was left out. I mean, in Duncan Smith, it's back to Europe again, I suppose, but was complaining about something that wasn't in it, the sovereignty uh, bill. What, what's that about? Well, a lot of Eurosceptics were promised uh, by David Cameron this idea of a sovereignty bill, which would put in statute the, the very concept that British Parliament is more supreme than Brussels or the European Parliament or anywhere else. Uh, and that ultimately, you know, not just our Parliament, but also the way we make laws and possibly even the impact on the courts, that sovereignty resides here in London rather than in Brussels. Now, a lot of Eurosceptics at the time thought this was a ruse and they mm. said, no, no, this will never happen. And it looks like they're right. You know, this is yet another example of them thinking that they've been played by the Prime Minister, right. that he will fly something up the flagpole uh, only to pull it down later when he thinks he's got his way. And it's about trust at the end of the day. You know, the, the key thing to remember about Eurosceptics, and this applies to all of them on the Leave side, whether it's the UKIPers or whether it's the Tories, um, is that for them, this isn't necessarily about pounds and pence. It's not about will you necessarily be better off or worse off. It's about control over your life. That's why the, the Vote Leave slogan is to take control. Because they think, for better or worse, it's much better we make our own mistakes rather than Brussels. Yeah, that's quite hard to sell. I mean, for, it is a hard for, sell. for most people, it is about pounds and pence in the pocket. If you're a normal voter, if you're yeah. an undecided voter, what's more important if you don't have much money than whether you can pay your bills and whether you can buy food? For your I family. agree, and so I think elevating it to this idea of kind of you know sovereignty and democracy, whilst totally a worthwhile argument and a worthwhile case, yeah. that might be a problem. And don't forget, that was the argument that Jeremy Corbyn used to use, which <laughs> yeah. was the reason he didn't like Brussels, because it was undemocratic, unaccountable, you know. And there is a case to make there, but I think even Jeremy Corbyn has realised that, whoa, you know, when it push comes to shove, it's all about whether we'll be better off financially or worse off financially in Europe. And because that is quite an abstract concept to, to, to a lot of people, that's why perhaps we've had the kind of um, Leave campaign pushing on the kind of immigration button again. We had, there was some pretty inflammatory stuff from Farage earlier in the week um, when he spoke to John Pienaar saying um, that there could be violence on the violence on the streets as a result of, 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 of immigration. And that, a number of people seized on that straight away in terms of the Enoch Powell rivers of, rivers of blood. Like well, he said, it, it might not happen here, but I'm not saying it won't happen here. And Farrow tried to correct himself almost mm. immediately and kind of add caveats, but he, he kind of knew, what, he knew exactly what he was doing. And people call it dog whistle politics, but, you know, that's... Doesn't, the dog whistle is that you know you're subtly trying to get a message. Yeah. Over. That's not particularly subtle. I think dog whistles have been the left message, far behind. The, the in message, that, that's that's a megaphone. That's that's a that's a yeah. 
town crier kind of making the making the plea. So that's the alternative they've got rather than the economy. I think you're right, and it's it, it is coming down to migration versus the economy for the two sides. That those are the big battles. I mean, there was a that Mori poll this week that was favourable to the to the Remain camp um, showed that one of the uh, when it comes to ranking the public's preferences. Those two issues were way at the top, economy and migration. What was third, way behind, was this idea of sovereignty. Mm. So even in, in a discussion about the Queen's speech, we can't escape Europe. But stat of the week time, Graham. Oh, so okay. uh, here you go. This is your um, stat. This is, 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 Queen, it's, a, it's a Queen's speech-based uh, stat. This is, pr- this is printed out on paper, which is... Uh, on, <laughs> Unprecedented. On, on, uh, yeah, absolutely. Usually it's it's higher standards when, uh, when I'm in charge. Owen oh, Bennett's illegible scrawl is usually what I get handed at this stage. So the stat of the week, this is... This will be the 63rd time during her reign that the Queen has delivered the Queen's speech. She was absent on two occasions, in 1959 and 1963, when she was pregnant. That's good. On those occasions, the speech was read by the Lord Chancellor. And there's a rude bit at the end. That I don't... <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not going to read that. That's a little trick. It's Excellent stat. Excellent stat. OK, so today, um, Andy Burnham... Uh, announced he was running for mayor. Well, actually, he announced it yesterday because he broke his own embargo by changing his Twitter handle from Andy. I think it was the Andy for leader one when he was running to be leader of the party to Andy for mayor. So they kind of already made a mistake. Um, so that leads me on to our quiz. There Ooh, is a quiz. We love okay. a quiz. And, uh, which I'm calling City Hall or City Fool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Good. Yeah. some of these people have been mayors or are mayors. Yeah. Some aren't. City Hall if they're a mayor. Yeah. City Fool if they're, if they're not. Okay. Yeah. So, good. Yeah. 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 No, this right. is good. Okay. This is good. Okay. I'm genuinely interested in it. Talk show host Jerry Springer. Is he a City yeah. Hall? Yeah. I think he. I think he was a mayor. Yeah. Yeah. He was mayor of Cincinnati in Ohio. Oh, well done. Um, Clint Eastwood. Yes, he's mayor of Carmel, wasn't he? Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. Okay, star of long-running US sitcom Roseanne, Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr. Ooh, that's a tough one. You can imagine uh, her doing it. Yeah. But I'm going to say City Fool. I'm yeah, going to say, I've not heard of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right, she didn't, she wasn't yeah, there. She ran for president in 2012, though. Oh, um, did she? Yeah, in the Green that. Party. Tough year that, that, Obama. You know, kind of <laughs> yeah, stole, yeah. Some, of the, stole yeah. some of the... Yeah. Uh, not quite Ralph like. Nader. Um, <laughs> okay, here's another one. Um, current Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders... Oh no, surely we'd know, wouldn't we? No. City Fool. Yeah, no, City Fool's been a um, congressman for years, but not. City Hall. Oh. He was mayor of Burlington in Vermont. Well done, oh. Re-elected three times in well the 80s. Known. So He must have been very young, wow. Oh, he's very old now. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, that's true. <laughs> okay. Lovely do, part of the world. Do, yeah. <laughs> Is it? Have you been? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> okay, I'll do you two more. So, pro wrestler and predator actor. Jesse Ventura. Yeah, this is this is City Hall. Or, yeah. Uh, I said that confidently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 back yourself. Don't you know? Yeah, I'm going to say City Fool because I think there was some story about him oh, being yeah, maybe, I've maybe running for mayor, but I don't know if he actually got the mayor. Is that right? I don't know if he ran, but he was. Um, is this Ven- Ventura? Yeah. Actually, no, he was Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Oh. Oh. So there you, City Hall. So there you go. Yeah. And okay, one final one. One final one. Oprah Winfrey. No, City no. Fool. No, City Fool. Should we really, we, no. Yeah, I mean, I've been on Wikipedia, it's not. Uh, <laughs> but last year, Donald Trump said he'd like her to be his vice presidential running mate, which I don't think is going to happen. No, I'm not sure she's wow. sympathetic to 
I think no, there's as much chance of the Mexican president uh, <laughs> building the wall. Anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, join us next week. We'll find out what uh, historical dictators have been driving to the Brexit campaign. I'm backing Tito. Yugoslavia's Tito. I think he's got a good chance of getting yeah, involved. Yeah, um, and yeah. yeah. We'll see. Okay, here's to end. Here's a new attack ad that Hillary Clinton's campaign has made targeting Trump's comment about women uh, with women miming along, which I've just realised makes no sense. This is a podcast. You can't actually see it, but you can listen. See you next week. You know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever. Does she have a good body? No. Does she have a fat ass? Absolutely. You like girls that are five foot one, they come up to you nowhere. If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. I view a person who's flat chested is very hard to be attacked. And you can tell them to go themselves. Does Donald Trump really speak for you? 